Welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. It's series 15, bitches. Yeah. Uh, please welcome a man who wears his own merchandise when he exercises at the gym. It's Richard Herring. Oh, yeah, we're back. Series 15. Commit recommissioned. It's all gone very well. The executive producers love the show. Welcome. To, we've changed the name because uh, this year we are going to be doing the podcast all over the country. So we wanted to keep the same initials. So we're, we're experimenting with some new names. I haven't seen the one the guys have given me. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring Loves Sucking Todgers Podcast. What? <laughs> but <laughs> I don't love it. I'll do it. As long as they do it back. That's the, the, I would prefer to go second. <laughs> Uh, I was hanging around with the European Research Group uh, and the other day, and uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, he calls it Rehellestabus, so I don't know if that's how... And he calls the European Research Group Erg, uh, and he calls himself Durham. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, we're, it's sort of a brand new world, a world for us here at uh, the podcast. Uh, we are now, uh, we've moved over to Acast for this series. So you at home will be getting a few adverts, but you can go to rahalastapa.co.uk and pay some money and get ad-free versions. You're not going to, though, are you? Because you're a cunt. <laughs> so stop complaining about the adverts. Either pay or sharp. Oh, you want me to do it for free? Fuck you. <laughs> so, um... Hope you enjoy that. Let's see how that works out. Could probably be all right. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Oh, my, it's my exciting news. We, we had, as a result, at the end of last series, of course, we had Terry Hall on the show, which was a, very exciting for me. He's absolutely one of my heroes. It was a lovely interview. Uh, there was a kind of serious bit for it in it about uh, some bad stuff that happened to him as a kid that um, made it into all the newspapers because they're too lazy to bother going and finding their own stories, so they just listened to this. Hello, journalists. Welcome. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and get you some stuff for you to write in your papers, shall I, now? Very angry. It's like very angry. <laughs> uh, but uh, what I liked about it, it was on the BBC website and they actually just printed up one of my tweets. which was, oh, I'm very excited about Terry Hall. This is one of my heroes. Uh, they just kind of printed this tweet up, but they printed the entire tweet and it said, now upon video, and then in, uh, sorry, in an audio, and then in brackets it said, video being uploaded uh, again, because Chris Evans, not that one, uploaded the low-res version. <laughs> the clot that wouldn't happen with Captain America. And that, that was on the... That was without any explanation on the BBC website. Which officially means that Chris Evans not that one, he is a clot. So that is good to know. That's, that's in the news. That made the news. That'll be the front of uh, Wales today. Tomorrow. Uh, what else has been going on? Um, oh, I was, I was thinking the other day, so, uh, a very great comic called... Uh, Stephanie Black tweeted about uh, who, you know, who remembers Spangles being uh, a poor uh, piece of observational comedy. But who remembers the first time they saw a comedian saying, who remembers Spangles? That is, that's, I was, I'm generally quite interested to work out who it was because we, I've gone back through what I remember. And I, Spangles actually only stopped being made in 1984. And I'm sure that within a couple of years, people were doing the who remembers Spangles jokes, which seems too... That's 700 days is not enough for nostalgia to... Do you remember Spangles? No, okay. Uh, so some people don't remember Spangles, so this material is really going to go full flat on their face. So if anyone can remember the first... I'm at home, anyone can remember the first time they saw someone saying, who remembers Spangles? I would love to hear about that. They were, they were brought back in about 1995 for a little while in Woolworths. Do you remember Woolworths? Uh, and... Um, <laughs> Which means there's a, a lot of people doing that joke in the mid-90s. It means there's a genuine possibility someone was asked who remembers Spangles while they were eating a Spangle. That is, that is the worst kind of nostalgia comedy I've ever seen. Okay. It's not worked out. That was no good. Uh, so, uh, 
And we do have this. We have a new website as well for the podcast. So if you want to find out how to, you can donate personally and get uh, lots of extras, including the behind-the-scenes interviews we do. Very good one with uh, our guest today. Uh, and uh, some of my stand-up shows, uh, ad-free versions of this podcast, and lots more. Uh, entry into a free draw. It's really good. Go to rahalastapur.co.uk and you can uh, find out all about what's going on there. It's a brand new podcast, uh, brand new um, website. That's what it's called. That's the thing. Okay, so, you know, it's my first day back. Come on, give me a fucking break. So, um, we were going to meet our guest uh, this week. He's been on before. Uh, he is, I was going to say he was best known for being in the audience for the Maria Bamford Rehalustapur, but nobody knew he was there except me. But I actually then saw, just now, he was also, you'll know him from Kidneys for Jesus. That's why we're here tonight. I know I saw a lot of recognition of that. Uh, will you please welcome the amazing John Ronson, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, sit down. Make yourself at home. Come on in. You can have some, have some free stickers. You can take those home with you. Uh, Kidneys for Jesus? Yeah, that was what a was real... That? that was a documentary I made about a religious group in Australia uh, whose leader decreed that all of his members had to give their spare kidneys to, uh, <laughs> to a stranger. What if uh, they said, I don't have one to spare? I'm, I'm not Well, <laughs> uh, because it says in the Bible, yeah. Luke... I believe yes. it says uh, he who has two tunics should give one to he who has none. So yeah. they extrapolated that for kidneys. Uh, <laughs> it turned bad. It, it turned it very bad. <laughs> it actually, like most, most of my stories turn bad, but this one turned especially bad. Um, what happened was uh, me and Dave, the leader of the group, really fell out. Um, I um, This story, I realise I'm building up to this being funny. <laughs> Get that out of your head. This isn't, uh, it's not funny. So me and Dave fell out yeah. because I said that I thought that one or two of his more impressionable members should be given a cooling off period before donating their kidneys, <laughs> yep. which Dave did not like. Um, so then he stopped me from filming and then he sent me a message. There was a woman in Scotland called Christine who was on their donor list, right. <laughs> kidney donor list. And me and Christina got, you know, become friends and she really needed a, a kidney. Anyway, Dave sent me a message saying that uh, Christine had taken a turn for the worse. He could instruct one of his members to give her a kidney, but if he did, I would only accuse him of manipulation. So he had decided to let Christine die. Oh my God. And let her death be on my conscience. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. Uh, I don't think uh, that cuts much mustard, does it? I don't think no. he, he can but, try know, that. Is it on your conscience, Christine's uh, death? No, because, I mean, the funny thing was. It, that you gave her your kidney, you felt so embarrassed. <laughs> it's actually it's really interesting because Dave was a very manipulative gentleman and was telling telling me like everything I was doing wrong and all the, you know why I was bad and why you know and and I was starting to believe it um I, I was really getting sucked into his kind of vortex yes. and when he sent me that message it burst the bubble I thought oh you're a twat <laughs> <laughs> and and so actually it really backfired yeah. him sending me that message it was too nuts if you're going to gaslight someone don't go full, let her death be on your conscience. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how far does that go, though? Well? Is there only things that come in twos yet? Because you've got two hands, you can give one of your hands. Yeah, you've well, got... kidneys, like, you can live... I mean, you can give a hand. <laughs> Definitely give sure. a hand. It's um, easy an operation. D Dave, to his credit, yeah. did give one of his kidneys. Did he? Yeah, yeah. eventually. <laughs> Once he was basically cornered into it by my disapproving looks. But what if he gave his kidney to someone who was then... Did they only give them to Christians, or did they give no. them to anyone? No, they would give them to, like, whoever... whoever People who didn't one. want them? <laughs> People with two fine kidneys? Yeah, it was a dark... I mean, it was a dark, dark story there. Yeah, well, you've done, I mean, you'd, well... I've I've done, see, I hadn't heard of that one until I just saw it on your IMDb page. Yeah, it's not one of my more popular um, <laughs> films, mainly because, A, it's incredibly upsetting, um, B... <laughs> It, it has footage of people's kidneys being removed. Yeah. And no one wants to watch that. No. <laughs> um, 
No, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm very squeamish. I can't, I wouldn't, I can't watch yeah. anything like that. i tell you what I did learn, actually, with, John, that, yes. with that particular story um, that's always stayed with me. Dave was a bad person, and I portrayed him as such. Yeah. And so it did nothing. Like, here's a bad person being bad. Like, what does that do? It does nothing. So what you want to do is... is Surprise people. Yeah. Take people who, who are demonized and show a different side to them, or vice versa. You know, mm, yeah, yeah. turn people into what all humans actually are, which is a, most humans anyway, is a mix of um, <laughs> positive and negative characteristics. Well, are, and, and with that show, I, I, didn't, yeah. I couldn't do it. And that's you why. You are I very failed. good at that, generally. Because, like, yeah. you know, I was listening to the, uh, the audiobook of The Elephant in the Room on my drive in today, and uh, so it's only an hour and 50 minutes, so you can. Okay. That was me going to the Republican National Convention in 2016 and yeah. hanging out with my old friend Alex Jones. Well, you're very fair. To, I mean, you're very nice yeah. about Alex Jones, given he's uh, Sandy Ter Hook denier. Oh, God, and... yeah. I, I mean, I say old friend in, in inverted commas. I, yeah. I, I, I was the first person. Me, I'm kind of like Alex Jones' Simon Cowell. I uh, basically was the first person ever to write about him. Yeah, um, I mean... I'm... And well, let's talk. We'll talk. You talk about what it is, and then I'll ask you some questions. Okay. <laughs> Do people know uh, Alex Jones other than appearance uh, on the One Show? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, Alex Jones is now America's most nefarious conspiracy theorist. Uh, the thing that's most startling about him is that not not so much anymore, but certainly for a while, he had the ear of of the president yeah. uh, via uh, Roger Stone, who's just been indicted. Um, so, who would have thought that Alex, who believes you know just ridiculous things, actually has influence now on the world stage? Yeah, and it's your fault because you were the because <laughs> you, I was the you first found one. him for one of your kooky books about extremists yeah. um, and and made him famous. Kind of, well, the thing you did together made him famous. Yeah, it, it was certainly how... I mean, I think it was on the way up anyway. Yeah. I, I did... Um, I always think... So I, me and him snuck into the secret society called Bohemian Grove. Uh, there's a secret club in the forests of Northern California called Bohemian Grove where there's a giant owl, giant stone owl. And on the Saturday night, um, all the men of wealth and power, like um, Henry Kissinger, John Major... Uh, has been uh, Clint Eastwood. Um, they, uh, they all dress up in robes and hoods and have a ceremony that culminates in a human effigy being thrown into the fiery belly of the giant owl. Yeah. So when I first heard that, I thought, well, that can't be true. So I, <laughs> so I called up, I phoned up David Icke and I said, I'm, I said, <laughs> I said, I'm thinking, of, uh, thinking of sneaking into Bohemian Grove. Do you want to come? And he went, no, that's where they transform themselves back into giant reptiles. Uh, <laughs> uh, which I honestly thought was an excuse. <laughs> uh, and, um, so then I phoned up Alex Jones, who I'd met about a year earlier at Waco. He had, he had um, rebuilt David Koresh's church at Waco. Yeah. Uh, so I said to him, I'm thinking about sneaking into Bohemian Grove. Do you want to come? Uh, and he said, yes. I'll smuggle a camera in and we'll confront those devil-worshipping globalists going about their satanic evil. So I said, I think stealth might be a better approach. <laughs> anyway, okay, stealth. So, uh, so we snuck in. I, well, I'll tell you how we snuck in. Yeah. It's a great story. It is. Okay, so um, Alex's plan was to rent a boat, <laughs> moor it along the Russian River, which is the name of the nearby river, climb, um, climb the mountain and get in that way. And so then we met this local lawyer called Rick, this kind of preppy lawyer who had himself infiltrated Bohemian Grove, because like in the, in the various towns, like everyone's like, what the fuck goes on there? So this local lawyer had snuck in and, and so we went to him for advice. So he said about Alex's plan, he said, if you go in that way, you're gonna get yourself killed. So Alex got out his notepad and wrote down, Going in that way, dash killed. <laughs> so. It's worth making sure you remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Something could slip your mind. Yeah. So Rick said, no, what you need to do is dress preppy. Go, go to the local preppy clothes store, buy some preppy clothes, and then just go in and walk up the drive, giving the security guard a kind of I rule the world wave. Yes. So, so we went to the local Eddie Bauer preppy clothes store. 
It was like, do you remember Mr. Ben? The old cartoon. Yeah. It was like Mr. Ben. Alex went into the dressing room looking like a kind of far right-wing Texan redneck and came out looking like the great Gatsby. <laughs> He's got a preppy clothes. And then I walked up the drive, got in. Alex changed his mind because he thought maybe like in The Wicker Man it was all part of a complicated plot and he would be the one sacrificed in front of the giant owl. <laughs> so he went in via the undergrowth. Um, and got a terrible rash, I think, poison Did he not look at his notebook saying, don't, that, don't <laughs> that way down? He forgot about it, right. it was a different way in. Or but he managed to get in. Yeah. And, so we, and we got in and we filmed the owl ceremony. And... It's so weird. I mean, the thing yeah. is, I mean, everything's weird about, I mean, this book is, I mean, it's looking at the mad state of America, but before the mad state of America that we're now in, that's been going on. What is the possible... Did you talk to anyone there? You can't. You can't oh, who had been? Who had actually let the people the, who went the to this thing and dressed in hoods and yes. worshipped owls? I managed to to, to find one person <laughs> uh, who had been to the ceremony as an invited guest who agreed to talk to me. Yeah, guess who it was? I think it was Jeremy Beadle. No. Oh. It was Harry Shearer, uh, the voice of the Burns and the Simpsons, yeah. His previous guest on this show. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, he had been invited to quote, when I asked him why they'd invited him, he said, I was invited to quote, Jew the place up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and he... Doesn't he play Mr. Burns in the Simpsons? You said it was full of Mr. Burns. It, well, exactly. So at one point during the interview, I said to him... Um, I said, I wonder what Mr. Burns might think. <laughs> think he'd do the voice? I mean, no fucking way. He just thought, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really ashamed. <laughs> I said, I wonder what Mr. Burns would say about me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like nothing. <laughs> he just gave me a look to say, I'm not. I doing wonder that. what Derek Smalls would make <laughs> of this, though. <laughs> but uh, no, I think I, I know what the purpose of Bohemian Grove is. I, what is it? I understand the purpose. It's, it's you know, America's a young country. So if they're going to have rituals, they need to basically just write them from scratch. So yeah. this was like a little bit of a mix of, you know, Midsummer Night's Dream and, uh, you know, a bunch of other things. There was a guy, like, in, as part of the ritual, there was a guy wearing leaf-covered lederhosen at one point came right. on and, and started, like, singing this song about, oh, trees, oh, boughs, <laughs> oh... It's all, like, there is a weird thing about the ruling elite in probably here as well as in America that... They enjoy ritual and ceremony. Yeah. At Skull and Bones and at Yale, they kind of lie in coffins. And at Bohemian Grove, they do that stupid owl bollocks. <laughs> I tell you, like, there was Alex standing behind me, Alex Jones, with this look on his face as if to say, I, you know, I am witnessing Satan. And in fact, he brought out a video saying that he might, he might have seen, we might have witnessed an actual human sacrifice, <laughs> which we definitely didn't. Uh, <laughs> As if, like, it was weird enough, fucking, yes. anyway. Like, what? what and everyone was weeing everywhere. So, like, everyone yeah, they were Alfresco. peeing on the trees. So, like, I realised at one point, like, all these old men of wealth and power were taking it very seriously. Alex was taking it very seriously. I was the only person in the entire Redwood Forest who thought, this is fucking nuts. Like... <laughs> but it isn't I mean it's sort of unbelievable that could happen so then if you get someone who's paranoid mm. as he clearly was Alex Jones clearly was even then and now he's obviously got much more yeah. everything's a conspiracy but if you're a conspiracy nut and you find out A there's something and B there's no why is there no security how could you walk into the place where it is a little odd I mean there's a big conspiracy theory about how me and Alex were like allowed to go right. in and, and so on they, but did, I don't, they did a yeah. different one for you they but, I, one for yeah. but I don't think I, I made Alex a star I think it was on the way anyway I like to think of Bohemian Grove as being like Alex's revolver and 9-11 was his Sergeant <laughs> Pepper's okay. it was it, it was 9-11 that really made Alex fair enough famous. I mean it's sort of in, but there is an element where I mean you do sort of joke about it but there's an element where you've you're, by being a reporter on it and by being so immersed in it that you are actually, you affect... someone. Well, you're affecting the outcome of something, you know, you're not... <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, like, of all the things I've done in all of these years, I suppose that's the one... You know what? That's the one I, I sort of feel, I should feel a little, un, un, a little kind of nervous about. But the reason why I don't is because it would be... It would be sort of postmodern to think that I was wrong because Alex in the late 90s wasn't... The Alex of today, he wasn't a racist. Or, or so, and I've checked this with people who've worked with Alex for years, and I've said, look, I don't remember Alex ever being Islamophobic. Um, and certainly he wasn't, like, you know, terrorising the parents of children who'd been killed at Sandy Hook. 
So actually, when people say, oh, John Ronson, you were too nice to Alex Jones, it's, it's not really true because the Alex back then was, yeah. he, he didn't have power. His message wasn't as malevolent as it is now. You know, it, it, it was... A... I mean, him building David Koresh's church back up was a, was a clue, though, wasn't it? <laughs> well, you, you know, know what? We, we didn't give that guy enough of a chance. <laughs> Bring him back. Well, you've got to remember that, you know, a lot of people died in that church and you could quite argue that it was government overreach yeah. that killed them and not Koresh. Sure. Um, but, you know, in, the, in, the, in this book, with that, again, it's well, it's very uh, cheap little, uh, little e-book book. to buy. Uh, so do buy it. It's, it's good. It's very interesting. Um, but Alex Jones, within Trump's presidential campaign, mm. basically may have been the... <laughs> with him and his bringing his supporters and him being flattered by Trump, it might have been enough for Trump to win with those with those people. You can behind. argue. I mean, Trump didn't win by that many no. votes, and Alex's people. Well, know, he Alex, lost by he lost by a few yeah, votes, didn't he? But, yeah, lost by many millions. Um, Alex's fans aren't obvious voters. No. So you could you could argue, yeah, that Roger Stone. I, I mean, it was really mystifying to me because I I couldn't understand. This was obviously before Trump was elected. I couldn't understand, like, why would they make that massive gamble? Why would Trump and Roger Stone, you know, these kind of, you know, operatives who've been around the block for decades, why would they make that gamble to, to bring Alex Jones into the fold? I mean, surely it would, like, turn off more people than it would attract. But I was wrong and they were right. Yeah. It might, it might well have tipped the balance. Well, it's, it's, well, but it's, it's sort of... Um, feeds into all the stuff you've been doing in the last well, all the time, really. In a way, like them, you you predicted everything that would happen. Quite not quite nine eleven, but you was you were saying in them. I remember reading yeah. that and it was before there had really been any major uh, Islamic extremism, or certainly in terms of you know terrorist attacks. And you were predicting that from them. I think so. I think the thing that I kind of noticed with them that other people hadn't noticed at the time was the relationship between political and religious extremism and conspiracy theories. Yeah. Like now we kind of just assume that, that you know, extremists are into conspiracy theories. But I think that book maybe identified that for the first time. Yeah. And I think within... But also that the way that Trump has come to power... Is is very much in in the same area as all the the things you've been doing your podcast about in the last three or four years, two or three years, uh, which you've been concentrating on pornography, which I can uh, understand. Uh, <laughs> but it's sort of the same. It's all about it's all about data. It's all about so you know, the the way that um, the butterfly effect, which I was hoping was going to be a series about the Ashton Kushner <laughs> film, just discussing whether it could happen in real life, yes. whether it was. And then maybe move on to sliding doors next and have a whole series of discussing whether that was realistic. Uh, but it's about uh, very... The, the starting point of it, it's obviously things spiralling from one thing to another, hence the title. But it's the starting point is a guy in Holland, is it? Uh, Brussels. Brussels, uh, in, in Belgium, who's, who's realised that he can, um, you know, by giving free porn out to people, that he could make some money, basically. Yes. Uh, so he basically gave the world Pornhub. Um, and... <laughs> I mean, Pornhub pre-existed for a couple of months before he came along, but Fabian made Pornhub, like, you know, into the sort of juggernaut it is today. Yeah. Uh, and what is Pornhub? Pornhub is basically... We know. <laughs> <laughs> they all know, look at him. That guy hasn't been out of the house for three weeks. Uh, <laughs> well, what some people may not realise about <laughs> yeah, okay. Pornhub is that it is a repository to a large extent, of pirated content, yeah. up, user-uploaded. Uh, so, as a result of that, what you had kind of overnight was a giant flow of money from the San Fernando Valley into Fabian's pocket. Fabian got so rich that he got his own aquarium, with it, which is so big, he needs a diver to come <laughs> once a week to clean his yeah. coral reef. Yeah. Like, you know you're doing well when you get your own diver. And he's got a swimming pool that's a room, and then the, the floor oh, yeah, goes down. Oh, yeah, it over. And, yeah, <laughs> and then there's a swimming pool there. That's cool. Yeah. I'm getting one of those. Whereas <laughs> the porn people became so poor that many of them had to go into escorting uh, to pay the rent. Um, many of them have to now work three times harder to make, you know, three times less money than they used to make. And then some other more surprising and kind of amazing consequences yeah. too. Uh, well, I 
Well, I mean, you know, we can talk about it a bit. I don't want. I want people to listen to it, so I don't, I don't want to give too much away. That's but I, I'm, I, I'm but doing I a big stage show as well. I'm going to be showing some of these right. clips. So yeah, you're doing a tour. You're doing uh, the Palladium. I'm doing the London Palladium. So is, the, is it based on the Butterfly Effect, the show, or is it? The, uh, yeah, the Butterfly Effect, and then its sequel, The Last Days of August. Yeah. But I'll tell you one thing, okay. which is one of my favourite bits. Um, uh, one of the ways that porn people are making money in the uh, in the sort of post Pornhub days is they do bespoke porn. So if you have a fetish that's so weird, like if that's so bizarre that nobody has ever made a porn film about it, you can now pay professional porn people to. What would yours be, Richard? Ventri <laughs> ventriloquist dummies being wanked off by ventriloquist. Do you know what mine would be? What? Mine would be a porn star whispering in my ear, it's okay, you are allowed to go to sleep at 9pm. <laughs> <laughs> all I want, all I want is an early night. <laughs> That's good too, yeah. I would go for that as well. Um, so, we, so when we discovered about the world of bespoke porn, we just got completely obsessed. This is me and my producer, Lena, and, right. and started like finding, you know, getting people to send us the craziest, because what an insight into somebody's inner life is yeah. the bespoke porn film that they commissioned. It's a good emergency question. I may be asking uh, <laughs> all the guests yeah. this series. So one thing I'm going to do on stage in this tour is, is show a selection of my oh, favourite bespoke porn yeah. clips. Yeah, no, but it's, it's, but it's both these series, are, are, they're very um, engaging, they're very moving and tragic in lots of ways, especially the last days of August. Um, and there's lots of funny bits in there, though, as well. But it's it's what well, it's it's very impressive. A, what you've done with podcasting, it's good to see people. I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't. I was going to ask why you chose to podcast it rather than write a book about it or do a TV show about it. Was that was that a conscious decision? I think I can sort of see why it would be. But yeah, it was. I mean, you certainly don't want to do TV um, when it comes yeah. about porn because. Well, because the act of seeing people naked or having sex is so overpowering, yeah. nobody's going to be concentrating on the human stories and the nuances and yeah. the things that, you know, that, that I'm interested in. So taking the visuals out of it was a really good idea. Yeah. I didn't write a book, partly because my American publisher was like, I don't want a book about porn. <laughs> um, I bet Audible were like, you know, cool with it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I love, I mean, I love podcasts as a listener um, and I, I think it's got the element as well of I mean it's I think both as a listener but as, if, as a participant where it's you do open up more I think as you know it's, there's, there's something about it I think you right. A you can keep people anonymous which you could do on a radio show but it's but yeah. so people can give their stories and not necessarily say who they are or you can read it out for them if they're not well, and voices. you get to know you get to know the insides of people's heads yeah. you know when you spend time with people I mean I love these kind of long form shows yeah. I'll tell you what's the opposite of it's the opposite of Twitter on Twitter yes. everybody's either you know a magnificent hero or a sickening villain you know people are reduced to this kind of you know stereotype yeah, yeah. on twitter but what podcasting shows is that you know for most humans the opposite is true what for most humans we're an interesting mix well, of I good thought, and bad i thought that exactly that about the last days of august because the last day of august is about that it's about a it starts from uh, a porn star tweeting something that people took offence at, piling on, and uh, then this porn star commits suicide, and is that because of the tweet or, or whatever? And this happened a couple of months after we left the porn world after making The Butterfly Effect, so, so we re-entered the porn world to try and figure out what happened to, to sure. August. And so then also then people who sent nasty tweets to her after she's committed suicide, they get the, the, the unbelievable thing of that... Yeah. They've that people believe they've created a Twitter pile on, and caused this, and then Twitter pile onto those people. Yeah, of course, but actually, you know, because on Twitter we're like, when it comes to shaming, we're like, kind of, all we can do, we're so our imagination is so shit yeah. that all we can do is like. You know, if somebody's inappropriately, if somebody inappropriately shames someone, what do we do? We shame them. It's like we're like a clumsy builder covering cracks. Yeah, exactly. You know? So you know, so if they then kill themselves, people would come after you. So it's yeah. it's, it's just insane. But but actually, that whole series is what you should be doing with everything, which is this slow, mm. you know, three and a half, four hour long examination of that subject properly. And it comes to proper conclusions. It's yeah. very admirable in lots of ways. I think you're not a sensationalist, but even though you take 
take sensational topics. Yes. Uh, I like the fact that very early on, you, you it looks like it's going one way and you say, I want to say this isn't what happens. And we're not building you up to a moment of suspense and then we're revealing at the end that yes. this, this didn't happen, which is You know, is when, great. when you said that about me like not being sensationalist but doing sensationalist topics sometimes, it just reminded me of how I used to really admire, like... Um, I mean, I still do, but uh, Nick Hornby and the way that he can finish a novel. He can make a novel climax like in the basement of a Starbucks on Upper Street. <laughs> and, I, and I always thought that was such a skill, you know, to be able to take something so small and make it so big. And I think what I do is the opposite sometimes. I take something that's huge and make it very small. Well, it makes it very human. human. So, yeah. so all of those people in both of these series, you know, the people who are affected by... Uh, the Ashley Madison uh, re revealing all the, the names of the guys who wanted to have affairs and stuff, and the awful consequences of that, uh, mm. and and this whole story, you know, that that, that it's yeah. it's you know that people there, there's a great bit in the in the last days of uh, August where one of the porn stars is really angry with you, and there's a very impassioned speech she basically gives you saying you're just doing this to do this and this and this, mm. and it's you sort of feel a little bit. For it, I mean, it's, it is. It's sort of one of the questions that you that I know you must keep asking yourself. You know, is that same thing? It's about you as the journalist. Mm. Uh, does your participation uh, affect the outcome? She's saying you're going to lead. This will lead to more people being upset and more people maybe killing themselves. It's the same thing again. <laughs> You've been accused of many, many Whoa, times. Yeah. It seems so. Uh, <laughs> but well, yeah. But you know, but that's interesting because also you're a part of it and you don't you don't skirt that. But it's sensitive. It's about finding out these. It is that. It's that thing within. The, the first series of people, you know, that way you start that first series saying you saw someone giving a porn star a disdainful look. Yes. Uh, and then reveal that, you know, 750 million men <laughs> in America download pornography. So there's this awful hypocrisy of hum human beings. Well, the, I they mean, use the... this stuff but are disdainful of the people who do it. And this, yeah. these, these show these are real, often very damaged people, I suppose. I, I mean, I mean, some are, some aren't. I think is the truth of it. I, I should explain, you know, for people who haven't heard it. So, so what the last days of August is is about is this, uh, you know, very lovely, bubbly uh, porn star August Ames was Twitter bullied, and then later that day she committed suicide. And so, I, I spoke to her husband Kevin. Um, and I said, look, you know, I've just spent a year and a half in the porn world, and I wrote a book about public shaming. So, you know, maybe, you know, it feels appropriate for me to contact you if you ever want to talk. And he wrote back, and this is like a month after she died, he started naming names. He started saying, you know, I blame, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but only a little. You know, he said, you know, this person, this porn star, piled in on her. She wouldn't be dead now if it wasn't for, you know, this person and that person. And, and so I, I contacted them the people who he was blaming for August's death, by and large. And they started saying to me, I think you need to look at August's relationship with her husband. And then this sort of cascade of rumours and gossip. People started saying, I don't, think she, I don't think it was suicide, I think it was murder. And the porn world was, was kind of aflame with you know, people blaming each other for August's death. Yeah. And I just kind of figured, well, I have I have to like take at least some steps to try and figure out why she died. But what I entered into was an incredible ethical minefield. Yeah. Um, the likes of which I've, I've never experienced before. But that's, you know, but then it's so, re you know, that's what doesn't happen anymore in anything. It's like, you know, Brexit, if someone would do a four hour reason podcast about Brexit that would be useful for people people just make up their minds either side and then argue 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 and this you know the journey you have to go on and the the worries you have you feel it's going one way then it goes another way but actually you know I think you do solve it you know really I think so, so. which I is great also a lot of these podcasts you think oh this is going somewhere and then just there's no conclusion there's no answers to anything and I think that you do I think find the essence it. of it yeah yeah which is which is an incredible thing achievement over over something like that and but I think it's that fair you know you're fair to people you're aware you know you're an interesting journalist a I think again in that in the Alex Jones one you were quite you know you're quite uh, angry with journalists as well so while yeah. while Alex Jones oh yeah no there was a moment at the Republican convention I completely forgot this where like everyone was like you know hoping there'd be some like violence and right. there just wasn't any and somebody somebody said to me there's going to be a flak 
burning. It's going to be a flag burning. Uh, and so I was like, somebody's going to burn the flag. And then, like, honestly, I have never seen, like, there was like a thousand journalists came running to, like, the side of the road where this, you know, woman was going to set fire to the American flag and yeah. protest against Trump. And the journalists were, like, so, like, excited that finally there was some action to film. Um, they got too close and she accidentally set fire to her trousers. <laughs> so here's a woman with like her trousers are on fire. And then all of the crowd start panicking and start then like, and everyone's like kind of running around and panicking. I'm right up against this chain link fence at the back. <laughs> and I'm thinking if I get crushed to death now, it's going to, it's, it's going to be entirely, it's not because of the alt-right. I'm going to be crushed to death because of some drama star fucking journalists. <laughs> <laughs> we're all, you know, they're all playing into the hands of Trump. It's, it's all yeah. so fascinating. Oh, you know, I don't know if this is a well-known fact or not, but this was the moment when I thought Trump was going to win. Uh, this was in May 2016. So this was a couple of months before he got the nomination. And it was such a portent. Um, I was at the gym. And uh, on one of the screens was Hillary, who was being very inauthentic. And then they cut away from Hillary not to a Trump speech, they cut away from her to the empty podium from which Trump would eventually speak. Right. And I thought, fuck, we are fucked. Yeah. We're fucked for so many reasons. We're fucked because, um, you know, the media is just in love with, 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 with the, you know, with this sort of extraordinariness of Trump. And Hillary's not doing well. You know, she, she's, I mean, she may be a great person, I, I, but she's not coming over as authentic on mm -hmm. TV. I just thought we're fucked. Yeah. And we were. We were, but it's the same It's the same thing that runs through... I mean, I'm not blaming you for all of it, but it's the same <laughs> thing that runs through all your work is the conspiracy theories, you know, and that mm -hmm. becoming into the mainstream. It's like those Alex Jones supports saying to you, you know, t 20 years ago, people were taking the piss out of me, and now look... But now, look, everyone agrees with the things I've said. The way that they could take a story and just go, I'm not saying this, but, you know, maybe this is what happened. Yeah. Uh, and, and that kind of propaganda element. But it's, again, it's the same as the guy, the porn guy understanding how data worked, which the porn guys making the money at that time in California mm. didn't understand how data worked. And he, you know, he, in the same, it's just, a, I mean, uh, YouTube is just, um, the porn, porn hub is just YouTube of porn. So it's not, it's not, it would have happened, someone would have come up with that someone idea. Someone would have done it. But it's, it was being yeah. the first person to come up with that idea of uploading porn, making you money in, in advertising and other, other ways. It's funny, the porn world's, you know, famously always been at the forefront of technological advances. So, yeah. like, you know, 8mm, VHSs, you know, these things are really driven by porn. But when it, come, when it came to, like, streaming, when it came to, you know, the YouTube for porn, they were way behind. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the porn world that invented Pornhub. It was these, you know, tech bros up in, you know, Brussels and Montreal. Well, there's an element who never set foot on a porn set. Yeah, never yeah. set foot on a porn well, it's set. It's the same with music as well. So there's a complacency and there was a suspicion and therefore, you know, well, we don't want to give our money and this stuff away for free because how will we make money? And then it's the people who realise how you would make millions and millions of dollars. What's amazing about porn is that people are, st the people are still making it. If people didn't make it, the guy who runs <laughs> porn have does, has got nothing to put up. But so they could hold him to ransom, but he knows... They yeah. can't because someone else will make it. So yeah, it's true. So, but it, but it's but I think it's the same with it. Just sort of all coalesced as I was listening to these podcasts. Of that, mm. that um, Trump kind of understood data. The whole and the and the Brexit people understood data and the power of data. Yep. Uh, and that's why the yep. world is where it is now. Ab yeah, absolutely. And the understanding that people are, you know, yep. malleable in this way. You know, the moment it really hit me, like the importance of search engine optimization and algorithms and so on, it was when I was on the set of uh, Stepdaughter Cheerleader Orgy. <laughs> uh, and the director... I, I had quite a few epiphanies on the set of Stepdaughter Cheerleader Orgy. Uh, one epiphany. Can I tell you all of my epiphanies? Yeah, please do. I mean, I want to talk about being on porn sets, obviously, so okay. we'll get on to that after the series. But... Well, one of the epiphanies was the director, Mike Quasar, who's a real veteran, he's been doing it since the 90s, hates, I mean, it, honestly, right, like, I can tell you right now, he's, he is shooting porn now. All Mike Quasar <laughs> ever does is shoot porn. Like, if he's not asleep, he's shooting porn. And he hates it. He said to me one day in a, um, in a sort of, you know, just a moment of sadness and self-loathing. He said, you know, I'm, I spend my life framing 
men's ball sacks out of shot. <laughs> yeah. To which I said, like, why? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, oh, well, it's apparently, I, mean, I don't know this, apparently it's um, in porn. You, it's off putting, I would say. And that's the reason sex, I yeah. think go don't take it. So that's that. Mike's life. So Mike <laughs> hates porn. <laughs> Wants to just, you know, to hate sex, I'm sure. And, um, but, but that's his life. He's trapped. Anyway, he said to me, you know, in the old days, um, our films weren't called things like Stepdaughter Cheerleader or G. And I said, what were they called? And he said, well, the very first porn film I ever made was called Women of Influence. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, that, and then the one after that, he said, was called The Billionaire's Blonde. And he said, the reason why this film is called Stepdaughter Cheerleader or G is because it's like a kind of arms race of search engine optimization. We're desperately trying to see what the most searched for porn terms are stepdaughter cheerleader and orgy being three of them <laughs> and then we make films that are kind of tailored uh to that so uh that's why what do you think the what do you think the appeal of um step well step so because my computer is like full of it <laughs> not my the downloaded just if i'm trying to watch porn i don't want to i don't want to imagine having sex with my wife's other daughter <laughs> Yeah, you know, step... <laughs> uh, the most searched for porn term yeah. in, in the world, by far, I believe, is step. So what's, step the, what's the appeal? Of, what's the fuck is going on with the Well, you the know what? I, OK, I always thought... Well, well, I didn't always. I knew this about a year ago. <laughs> I was like, I'd love to have a stepsister so I could bang her. Uh, I, I, I assumed it's because ev everybody other than us uh, had, has a proclivity to incest. Right. But yeah. actually, so, some, so I said that on stage one time, and then someone tweeted me from Reddit. Right. And said, actually, that's not necessarily the case they said like in stepbrother and stepsister porn it i mean look i'm just telling you what this person tweeted me yeah they said the performers tend to be better looking so i don't know this isn't my i don't know so it's the performers are more attractive <laughs> i'm not doing this scene unless i'm your stepbrother not your brother but you know step that would be sick well okay so the question is, why? Because step is by far the most yeah. searched for. Stepfather, stepmother, stepdaughter, stepbrother. Step I find sister. it off-putting. I've said before, I can work with it, but, right. I, but I have to... I just have to imagine the actors playing the part yeah. of stepbrother and stepsister. I don't get off on the idea of them being related to There's one of two possible solutions, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Either many millions of people are secretly wishing they could be incestuous, yeah. or not. I mean, a lot of the things that happen in pornography, even if you enjoy them, you wouldn't necessarily want to do them. So a lot of it's about transgressing yes. uh, laws, isn't hence it? And transgressing the fact that, social boundaries. Yeah, hence the fact that I think in, in S&M, like I asked a dominatrix this question once, um, and she confirmed what I suspected, which is that like the, the masochists in an S&M scenario quite often quite powerful, important people in the real world. And the sadists of the S&M scenario are quite often sort of, you know, weaker, more introverted people. Mm. So you do the opposite in that scenario to, to how you feel you are in the real world. Yeah, I guess, I hope so. But, it, but the world is, you know, the, the, it does... I wonder if the human race is going to sort of get over itself because the, the world of porn shows one side of things and the Ashley Madison thing shows... Yeah. Millions and millions of mainly men, I think, have signed up for a, an adultery site, whether they were having adultery or not. So you've got almost this all of them weren't. Yeah, they weren't. Yeah. No, because it was like, it was like ninety five percent men, and, five, and most of the women were bots. Yeah, that'll do for um, me though. I'm I'm happy with that. The, yeah, it's better. In the a thing way. I remember most about that Ashley Madison story <laughs> yeah. was this incredible thing. This is really the origin story for the whole my whole three years. You know, wanting to. Um, tell stories set inside the porn world. It was this girl called Dakota, and I met her at a church school in New Orleans when I was researching the Ashley Madison story, and she was part of this, like, circle 
of like, it was like a kind of confessional circle where people were confessing the things that they were most ashamed of. And her shameful secret, she said, was that she watched Pornhub. So I said to her afterwards, like, so, you know, how did you, like, did you get so into Pornhub, like, that you would learn the performers' names? And she said, no. She said, I never learned their names. It's like when you kill a deer, you don't name it because then you can't eat it. So, but she was being like self, she, she was being self-aware when she said that. Yeah. Like what she was saying was, I have to not be curious about the lives of the porn people because if I'm curious about them, it'll make me feel bad about myself. Well, that's, but that's the whole thing, isn't it? Because that's the, the problem with the, the work you do. Mm -hmm. uh, and Louis did did some uh, yeah. as well, where he went on uh, porn sets. I think actually, you, see, you see them as, you suddenly see those people as real people, and that's the problem. You can't see yeah. the, the porn performers as real people with real problems and like real mental problems and drug addictions and stuff, because then, you, unless that's like, your kink, that's going to put you off what's going on. Absolutely. So as a consequence, the incuriousness of the outside world then allows exploitation to flourish. Yeah. It allows tech bros to come in and take all their money. Uh, so, yeah, it's, so it's, it's the fault of the hypocritical bystanders. Yeah. But you, know, the, but, but, you know, so the human race... And that's, you know, I just remember if in the 1990s, if you're doing something mildly, you thought, oh, this is a bit perverted, I better never tell anyone what I've done. Right. Um, and then if the, then the internet comes along, you go, oh, fine. No, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine, you know. Being teabagged is quite normal, apparently, as it turns out. Uh, but, you know, so it's... it's <laughs> you know, I, thought I'd, I thought I'd invented that. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, that, that's the thing, is that we had lived in this idea that you could go, oh, we have to behave in this way, and blah, blah, blah. And the internet just shows that we, the, the vast majority of people, at least in their imaginations, are not behaving in that way. Mm. So the vast majority of people at least fantasise about being unfaithful to their partners, or the vast majority of Yeah, men you know, the Ashley, one of the darkest things I discovered while researching the Ashley Madison thing was when most people sign up for Ashley Madison. Uh, God, in my job, you really find out really sad things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, the spikes for membership for Ashley Madison, which for people don't know is a website where you can have an affair, um, are after, they're always like Monday mornings, they're after the Christmas period. They're always after times that you've spent time with your, <laughs> yeah. with your partner. Yeah. That's when I get, I guess, to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, those people who did, so they released all the, someone tr trying to make money really, wasn't it, I suppose, mm. rather than genuinely shame people, but they were, they got all the data and all the names of all the users of Ashley Madison and said they'd release them unless they got some money. And yeah, did actually, didn't they, it wasn't money thereafter. They said they'd release them unless Ashley Madison like closed. Okay, so it was. Yeah, that's right. So it was. It was like a moral stance. Yeah. But obviously, this then by revealing the names, they created havoc and people committed suicide. Or well, one exactly. Suicide. Most most social scientists would tell you that morality that violence is always worse when it's done for a moral purpose. Yes. And such was the case with Ashley Madison that, yeah. with the hack that you know they had this sort of moral zeal to release these millions of names. So they did, and this you know, church um, minister in New Orleans was caught up in it, and he committed suicide. And of course, you know, I, I assume anyway, there's no remorse on behalf of the hackers, because no. uh, we constantly trick ourselves into not feeling bad about the bad it's things that, that we do. Weird. But that's, that again, that hypocrisy and that weirdness just keeps on coming up with all of these subjects, of so this people judging other people, which is what the whole social media thing has become. It's just become about judgment. No, you know, and, and that, that's what I find unbelievable is that, you know, everyone's done something in their life that they would go, I'm ashamed of that choice I made when I was 17 yeah. or whatever, whatever it was. And so if you're going to have that level, I think it was Jesus who said, judge not lest you be judged, John. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, I'm, I'm not saying I'm Jesus, yeah. but, you know, I sort of get well, what that guy was on about now. Uh, well, you know, but it's, it's, it just seems self-defeating because if you, if you pile in on someone for... Uh, even like having an affair, you know, the, you, you find out other people's reasons for having affairs is because they're, you know, the, a, a woman's husband's very ill and doesn't have sex with her, and you know, they don't yeah. have that kind of relationship. So that's not your business. You know, that's not your business. When we pile in on people on Twitter, as we all do all the time, we are, we are doing the thing that we are most terrified might one day happen yeah. to us. Um, and 
yeah, I was thinking the other day, like somebody said to me, like, why are you on Twitter? Someone said to me, someone tweeted me the other day, like, you're on Twitter for the dog videos, aren't you? And I said, no, I'm on Instagram for the dog videos. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. By the way, you know the worst thing about, yeah, I, I, I think I'm the only person who who's, gets anxious about this. You know, Instagram videos of skydivers that stop before the parachute opens? <laughs> <laughs> freaks the fuck out of me because it's like they're gonna i mean you have to assume they're not just gonna plummet to the ground anyone who puts an, a parachuting or skydiving video on instagram really needs to cut after the parachute yeah. opens or at least them on the ground going yeah so i i'm on instagram i'm on instagram for the dog videos and i thought well what am i on twitter for and i, I realized what i'm on twitter for is to relive that moment that i had about 20 years ago when i was in the countryside and I saw an electrified fence, like a cattle fence, and I spent ages wondering whether or not I should touch it. <laughs> I've got those very near my house and one that every will tell you what my dog... Have you dog... ever touched one? No, I haven't done it yet. My dog's been electrocuted though, so they I, do work. They sometimes sometimes they even do... she didn't go ever do it again. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't go through the fences again, so, you know, they work. Uh, I'm having terrible power imbalance issues with my dog at the moment. Yeah. She's really sensing my vulnerability and pulling me. I've got a massive scar on my hand because she got pulled me into undergrowth and I got terrible whiplash. This was like last week. And, and she's a very... I'm, I'm kind of going off her. She, <laughs> she's got all the power. I want to be on a level playing field with <laughs> Josie. Like, I'm not comfortable with the whole leash Thing, the yeah. whole master, it's like because it's like master slave. Like, yeah, I don't well want now because of your the, your obsession with pornography, it's just it's turned <laughs> how much time I, I don't why is that want, on porn up? I don't want that, but then if I give Josie too much power, she massively takes advantage. <laughs> so, I don't know what to do, it's a problem. Well, I'm all right with the dog, it's the kids that do it to me. So, there we go. So, yeah. the kids have me on, under their thumb. Um, what so, what's you, you, yeah, let's talk about hanging around on porn sets and how that is as a human man who okay. presumably has looked at pornography for non-professional reasons. So what's it like being on a porn set? The very first porn set I went on was actually before I did The Butterfly Effect. It was when I was writing So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And it was a uh, porn set called Public Disgrace. And uh, my big, uh, my big <laughs> memory of that, I had two big memories of it. One was that people kept like coming up to me and like rubbing my back to make sure I was feeling okay and not too intimidated. <laughs> okay. And I think you know you're getting old when people considerately rub your back on a porn set. Yeah. Uh, that might be just how they get people involved in the porn, John. It's just like, he yeah. likes this, let's, let's go a bit further. Yeah. Yeah. And then my second, my other memory was just how long that shoot dragged on for like <laughs> hours and hours. And by yeah. like 2 a.m. I was thinking, just please eject. <laughs> so I can go to sleep. And I realise I'm probably like millions of women before me. Uh, uh, um, so that so was it, a long one. Is it one. not thrilling? Is it something you'd like to join in it, it with? It becomes very unsexual very quickly. Yeah. Um, so after my public disgrace experience, I then basically embedded myself and with my producer, Lena, on Mike Quasar's sets. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a very unerotic experience. It really is. It, it really is. And and uh, um, I never quite worked. Not, nobody ever told me. Nobody ever sat me down and said, "Here's the etiquette." Like you don't watch, or you do watch. Yeah. Like no one ever told me that. I had to figure it out for myself. Right. Which is it? Um, you, I think you know what. I think the answer is you don't watch. Okay. You don't watch. You you go off and and into one of the, they're always they're always like in rented mansions in the San Fernando Valley. Right. There's always lots of other rooms you can go and sit in. Right. So you tend to go off and sit in other rooms. Yeah. I sit in, in my own rooms when I'm watching porn as well. Uh, so <laughs> it's best. It's best. Uh, but it's exciting if you know. Don't lock the door just as that frisson. Yeah. <laughs> might get walked in on. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, well, I'm a, but I, I think again, the, I mean, it's the, the, what feels amazing about the internet. And there's so, there is so much positive stuff about the internet, and you no, know, this is just the way the world has always run. A new thing comes along and takes over, and the like, the old thing gets. You've got to be the person who can see what's coming. You, I mean, you should be a you know an entrepreneur because you seem to see everything coming. But it's it's changed 
so much, it's so revolutionary and in such a short amount of time mm. that, it, that it makes the world feel very unstable. I mean, you're talking about um, the effect on young people because you and I, about the same age, uh, we would have found a magazine in a, under a bush in a wood mm. uh, of a, with a bear lady and having a hairy muff and <laughs> taken that home and looked at it and been confused. Yes. Uh, and that would have been, you know, our pre-19... Uh, <laughs> and now <laughs> and now you know kids you know I, so I've got my kids are, are luckily not that age yet but you were aware that the, the age is getting younger and younger that those kids are going to see yeah I think most kids start watching Pornhub around the age of like 11 or 12 yeah. so it's and basically se- Pornhub is sex education for the world's children and nowadays. that's not good is it because it's, it's not, not sex education because that's not what sex is no right? exactly and as a consequence erectile dysfunction um and you know, I've had people double check this. This is a controversial study, um, but I've had other people sort of check it. And, you know, I, I, I think we can pretty much establish that it's probably true that erectile dysfunction in 18 to 25 year old men has gone up since the advent of Pornhub by a thousand percent. Right. Shot through the roof, or not. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, but, um, but then also just giving people an unrealistic idea of relationships and, you know, and if you... Yeah. I mean, you see how people are affected by traumas in their childhood or weird things happening in their childhood or just unusual things happening in their childhood and that impacting their adult lives, which, again, is runs through all of this stuff. Mm. And so if kids are seeing that's their first... You know, that's this is your introduction to what sex is, It's 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 got to, like, have a massive effect on the psyche of the world you know? yeah i'm sure one one consequence one unexpected consequence is that the san fernando valley like in the 90s if you wanted to get into porn you you knew what you were getting into right it was yeah. like you knew you were bonnie and clyde you knew that this was you deciding to be an outlaw but that's not the case these days because like so many you know kids grow up on Pornhub that by the time they get to 18 they think that's a viable career option. So the valley is flooded with 18-year-olds trying to make it in porn in in an unprecedented way. And what are the consequences of that? One of the main consequences is that they all get to shoot, like the the few remaining production companies haven't been closed down by Pornhub. they, they all shoot, like some new girl comes into town, she gets work, you know, constantly for like three or four weeks, and then that's it, it's over, like the companies, unless um, she gets signed by one of the big agents like Mark Spiegler, uh, that's it, her career's over. So there's now, so, she, so what does she do then? She either goes back to where she came from and gets a different job and she becomes a high school teacher and then for the rest of her life she has to worry that uh, somebody's gonna find out that she did porn, which is much more likely that she's gonna get found out yeah. now because you know, these days, because it's right there on Pornhub as opposed to like going into a DVD store. So that's one negative consequence, or you go into escorting. Uh, so, you know, if you want to stay in the valley, you end up yeah. being an escort. So, yeah, that's another consequence of the tech takeover of Bourne. Yeah, it's... Not great. It's not... Well, it sort of makes you fear for the world. I mean, I just don't know whether... Is this going to be, like... I mean, the whole the internet thing, the nastiness, the, the you know, the, the lying, the, the, you know, the fake news thing, is this just going to be a blip and pe- we work out some way to get around it? Yeah. Are people going to go, hey, look... Let's be reasonable people again, and not just attack someone for having a different view to me or or for doing something yeah. wrong. Let's let's go back to the world where we gave yeah. people. Ch- you know, people make a mistake of any kind. So, like pornography is like an e- almost extreme example of that. That that can affect the rest of your life. Yeah, but, but it people could be making, making a, a liberal joke that comes out badly, yeah, yeah. which is full of which you know is, what my book about public shaming was about. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I hope that we've you know with the election of Trump particularly. Uh, it's like, okay, we've touched the stove now and we know that it's burning hot. <laughs> and we don't want to, you know, so I'm hoping that people, we've seen the consequences of, of what we've done. Because I'm convinced that Trump is a consequence of, of, of all of us. Like, we all polluted the waters and then Trump emerged from the polluted waters like kind of mutant fish. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm. But I'm, it's sort of incredible. If you, I mean, even a year before, really. But if you'd gone to someone 20 years before and said, this guy, He's going to do this, 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 and still be elected president. Yeah. You would have just, I mean, you would have thought it was absolutely impossible. I, I know, mean, I, 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 saw a tweet, I saw a tweet the other day when somebody said, if you told me that we would have a president who sleeps with porn stars and wants to create a space force, <laughs> and yet I still hate him. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I mean, I hope, it, I hope it's... Because it's not, like, we all know. I mean, we pretend on Twitter that our fellow humans deserve to be defined by a tiny little sliver of their lives. Some poorly worded tweet. Yeah. Um, but we know that's not true about us. You know, we know that's not true. Because we know ourselves. You know, we, we know ourselves that we are a mix of clever and stupid. We do good things, we do bad things. Like, we know that's true. So why are we finding it so hard to realise that's also true of our fellow humans, if we know yeah. it's true of ourselves? Well, it's something about... I mean, it is something about the economic times and all this sort of stuff, isn't it? It's, it's the, but that's the problem. We've got this vacuum of... of you know, politics and poverty and economic failure at the same time as all this is happening. It just sort of feels, you know, it could be apocalyptic is what I want to say. And he said, well, I think, you know, the way for everyone to do their bit, I think, you know, 100,000 people screaming at one person is not democracy. I think the way for people to do their part is if they see a kind of ambiguous shaming unfold, one that you're feeling a little bit uneasy about yourself, um, chime in, because voices going back and forward, discussing things, that's democracy. Yeah. Well, it is, and that's what, I mean, that's where, that's yeah, one person. <laughs> one person agrees with you, and that's democracy, so we can now discount that. <laughs> Yeah. But it is, and that. But it is just that the time, you know, the time, just a little bit of time taken. That's what I really think that uh, the last days of August uh, does show that that that's, you know, it was the, the, the and everyone initially blamed a guy who tweeted about take a cyanide pill, a horrible tweet. But the in fact, you commit suicide before that tweet even came out. So these, th if you just start yeah. to investigate and think about it, and then you know, and and take some time and some understanding yeah. of people. Twitter, Twitter <laughs> is the world's worst information swapping service. Yeah. We're constantly getting it wrong. Forty-eight hours later, we realise that the person we just destroyed, we got the facts wrong. Well, I give yeah. you one example. Do you, does anyone remember the? I mean, this, these things happen so often now. You know, we destroy someone and then just you know carry on whistling down the streets. But there was a woman not so long ago who was like the aunt from hell, her orphaned 10-year-old nephew. Um, does anyone remember this story? No. Jumps into her arms. Auntie, like, jumps into her arms, breaks her wrist. Right. So he's orphaned, and she sues him. Oh, yes, yeah. So that's bad, right? <laughs> but that's so bad, and everybody destroyed her. But that's so bad that actually what people should have stopped and thought was like, no one's that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and the, true, you know, the truth of that story we discovered 48 hours later is because the American healthcare system is so fucked up. Um, and I, I live there now, so I experience it. You realise some people pay more in healthcare than they do in tax, most people in America. That's how bad, right. that's how bad it is. Um, what had happened was because, you know, to, to qualify for some kind of health insurance for her broken wrist, the wording uh, in the insurance claim led a journalist who didn't quite know what they were, right. what they were talking about to think yeah. that the woman was suing her nephew. But it was all bullshit. And yet we just all leapt in, destroyed her. Yeah. 48 hours later when we realised we got it all wrong, did we self-reflect? <laughs> no, of course we fucking didn't. We just carried on and destroyed someone else. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about the last day of August is just the way that you have to wade through people's mm. motivation for saying what they're saying, their self-preservation, their self-delusion. And so it takes a lot, you know, there's a lot of, oh, someone said this has happened, so it's happened. And right. that, that's the problem, that we don't seem to have that. Well, should we think about it? Should we listen to the other person's side of the story first? Or Yeah, God, it was hard. The last day yeah. of August was a very, very hard show to do because... You know, I didn't realise that that was the story that I was stepping into, the story no, about trying to figure out, you know, why this person died and whether the people around her... It was very hard. Because what I had to do, I had to accurately... You know, the, the, the responsibility that I gave myself this last year was to kind of accurately try and figure out why August died. But to yeah. do that, you have to start questioning the motives of her grieving you know, of the people who were close to her. Yeah, of course. So how, how do you do that? You know, how, how can you be accurate about why August died while at the same time be sensitive and compassionate and empathetic towards the people around her? And yeah. 
Jesus, I mean, it was like, it was, it was, it was just a, oh, it was a night. It was, you know. It's a, it's a really beautiful thing. It's, it's phenomenal. It's just a, it really exciting that podcasting can, can have that scope. And I think it, it is something that I don't think it, you could have done in any other medium, certainly with that level of control. It needed you to be at the centre. I think your producer is fantastic as well. Lena Mzitsi. Yeah. She's, she's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, she embedded herself in the porn world for like about two years. I was on about six porn sets. She was on a hundred. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's, do listen to both these series uh, and, uh, and go and see John on tour. Where, is it going all over the UK? Is it the pretty world? Pretty much. It's quite a big one. It's, it's uh, God, I can't remember, but it's like most major cities. John it's in Ronson. May. John yeah, johnronson.com. Yeah. Without that... no H in John. No. And click on upcoming talks and you'll see the whole thing. It's a big tour. Uh, it's like London Palladium and the, uh, the Cambridge Forum and Vicar Street in Dublin. Some great venues I, I, I did last time around on my Psychopaths show. Um, Newcastle Tyne Theatre and so on. Great. Well, do go and check out that show. Do check out the podcast uh, and give it up for the fantastic John Ronson, ladies and gentlemen. Not bad. Not a bad start. Thank you. We'll be back with next week's show after the break. How do you like them sky potatoes? <laughs>